Rangers. Assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hey, what's up, dude? This is Mike Kingston, writer and creator of Headlock Comics, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Aaron Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them. There are social medias. And that just might be where you are. Go. Go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like-ski on there. Go on Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelists. Give us a like individually I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster. You can also find myself on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Melnick. And you can only find Eddie on one social media platform. That's Instagram. That's the only place, mind you. Contractually obligated, I guess. You know, I don't know. Maybe. Or home. And that's Instagram. And that is at Eddie9193. You can also listen to the show on a wide variety of streaming platforms, including TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Spotify, SoundCloud, and wherever else you can wrangle an RSS feed on your iOS or Android device. And also, we are on iTunes, where you can rate, review, subscribe, and share it on your social media platforms. Let people know you're liking this show. Let people know you're enjoying this show. And leave a five-star review. And Eddie, you know what? <laughs> I'm thinking about this, and it's, oh. it's too bad we don't have instead of an RSS feed an RST feed because that would be so alphabetical. It'd be really, really cool. It's an RST video, even. But Clerk's on reference. the other end of the tin cannon string, I didn't finish my joke. You're really you, you you're sure kicking did. me off. Ooh, <laughs> Eddie's feisty <laughs> today. Edit narrator. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> but much like the ice cream machine at McDonald's, <laughs> Eddie doesn't work. <laughs> Just like my joke every time. Again, Eddie. <laughs> On, on the other end of the tin cannon string. I said that. Well, I wanted to say it, too. Maybe. Mm, mm. I don't know. <laughs> Eddie's a meat. Wow, it took Fine. this long for him to get his palm in his hand, or head in his uh, palm. Fine. That fast. Say it, too. Go ahead. <clears throat> it chapter two, Eddie. Mm. <laughs> beep, beep, Richie. <laughs> I would not watch that version of the movie, either. Uh, on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are joined with the writer of Headlocked. Mike Kingston. Mike, sorry to have to deal with all of that uh, rigmarole for an intro, huh? Oh, no, I'm, I'm on it. It's, uh, it's all good. I don't know if I've ever heard uh, rigmarole twice in one podcast, but here we are. Uh, it's a, a, a it's an every episode occurrence, so. It's palpable. Mm. I, was, I was thinking you were going to say that. I don't know why. It's, it's tangible, palpable, right? You can, yeah. Uh, Potomac. But I don't, okay, I don't know. <laughs> but... Eddie, Mike, Mike has a new book out. Where's the Kickstarter for it right now? And as of this recording, in the year of Our Lord 2020. 20. Exactly. <laughs> Man, this is the kind of year we've been having. Check the phone. Go ahead. July 23rd, Thursday, July 23rd, we are VR Troopers. No, um. Groot. We, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Mike has a Kickstarter going on. It is in the final few days of it. We would want you all to back it. Because it is a phenomenal project. 
I have been backing it. I've been backing it since uh, 20, I want to say 15, because when I first supported his project, every single time you had a Kickstarter going on, I was either unemployed, broke, or not available in general just to do it. And now this is my first time being able to do it, and I'm really glad to help out in the Kickstarter. Hey, man, I'm happy to, uh, you know, happy that you're here. (laughs) Thank you. And, Mike, for the fans at home who are Marvel listeners and fans of Marvel in general, why should a Marvel fan check out Headlocked? I mean, you're already here for, you know, uh, you know, men and women in tights, colorful characters, bold, uh, you know, bold fight scenes, and, you know, good and evil. So, I mean, you're already kind of there. I mean, wrestling, wrestling is comics. And comics are wrestling. So, I mean, it's not too big of a stretch. Do you think there's a Reed Richards kind of uh, pro wrestler? <laughs> I mean, you got to think, in the grand scheme of things, that, that he'd be a tough one to beat. You know, if we're if we're doing uh, full, uh wrestling, you know, if we if we brought back the uh, unlimited class uh, wrestling federation. Imagine him wrestling Nick Gage. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. Uh, I mean, the promos alone. I've I, honest to God, I've been enjoying Nick Gage's uh, cameo posts recently because just anything they can get him to do, he will say. It's pretty much. It's like uh, Ron Burgundy with the teleprompter. And uh, the cool thing about Nick is that, I mean, he's, he's real, you know? I mean, and that's, that's the thing that people respond to. Um, I think Nick Gage is like this generation's Tommy Dreamer in a lot of ways. Just everybody, everybody's a big fan. He's, you know, he's like the big, uh, the ultimate baby face now, you know? And it's He wears t-shirts when he wrestles. A, yeah, kind of an interesting thing. Um, just given his past and the things that he's done and, Whatever, but I mean, he's a good dude. I mean, I, I've met him a few times, and we've done a lot of uh, we featured him on a lot of our GCW art prints, and uh, he's a, he's, a, he's a good dude. I do think uh, I do think Reed Richards and Nick Gage promos would be amazing. I would love, I would love to just hear him. You know, Reed do a very verbose promo, and then Nick is just like, I have no idea what the hell you just said, but I'm gonna mess you up. Obviously, mess is not the word he's gonna use, but I digress. <laughs> Eddie? It's clobbering time. There. Okay. Well, we throw the, that in, too. That was the thing, Eddie. Jeez still Louise is. Simonson. It still is. Okay. Headlong comics. Let's go back to the or start. Or headlocked. Of, headlock. <laughs> I had headlong. I'm thinking of a song by Queen, for crying out loud. Okay. Headlong. Headlock comics. Tell us some about uh, backstory about that component. Um, so the book that we're promoting right now is called Headlock Tales from the Road. Standalone anthology. It's uh, it's got 13 stories in it, created by 14 different wrestlers, with another seven wrestlers contributing art to the series. Um, so it's really it's a book about wrestling created by wrestlers, um, which is part of it. The the thing that I kind of love the most about it. But uh, you know, the main Headlock series um, we've done four volumes of, and it features. Um, Mike Hartman, who's a theater major in college, who quits school to chase his dream of becoming a professional wrestler. And it's him, it's like an HBO-style drama of him sort of navigating the underbelly of the wrestling business. But at the same time, we're sort of examining the craft of wrestling through the eyes of a performance artist. 
Now, through his, you know, through his tail, you only kind of see every, you see everything through his eyes. So there's only so much of the world that you're going to see. Um, so in Tales from the Road, I collaborate with a bunch of different wrestlers, and we create stories you know, to sort of build out the universe a little bit, um, just expand different corners of the universe, introduce new characters that you might see down the road. You know, but most importantly, just to tell fun stories. And there's a number of people involved with this that I've seen over the past, you know, few years. Like you have accumulated one hell of a roster of talent to be involved with. You have Hurricane Helms, friend of the show. You have uh, Gangrel. You have Joey Janela. You have Peter Housen's favorite wrestler, Dan Housen. It's it's crazy. Like the you know the number of people that are involved with this. You also have Mr. Ziggles himself, Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, we're actually uh, we're working on a uh, trauma-inspired story. So oh God, it's going to be fun. Um, that put Daddy's Dolph's attention. Big, he's a big trauma fan, so you know. And I like to try to when I collaborate with people, I try to give them, you know, we try to find something that they're excited about, and then figure out, you know, how to do it that way. You know, um, Jerry paints these Norman Rockwell covers for our for our books, and he's a big Norman Rockwell fan. So I find that when you collaborate, the you know. The, the more excited your collaborators are to, to be a part of it, the, the better the the final product comes out to be. So, And there's, I, uh, there's a lot of, but, like I said, stellar talent behind this. And who was, like, one of the names that you never thought you would get involved with this that you did? Uh, well, Dolph, for one, um, and Mustafa Ali, um, you know, um, sort of, certain guys have certain leeways in their, in their contracts and stuff. And, you know, like some of the, the early on when, when Mustafa was on 205 live, like they have a little more freedom to do outside projects and Dolph's got, you know, with his tenure on the roster, he has the ability to do some, some outside things a little bit too. So with his comedy and whatnot. So, um, so those are cool. Those are cool little, uh, you know, things to get. Um, you know, most of these guys are guys that I knew coming up, you know, I've, I've known him for a long time, you know, like Joe, Samoa Joe, and, uh, you know, I've known Janela since he started, and, um, you know, just guys that I've built relationships with over the years, you know, selling my books at wrestling shows or having the guests at Comic-Cons and stuff. Um, it's not featured in this book, but I've, I've collaborated with Ric Flair on a story, which to me is the wildest thing ever. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, we, I just did a story uh, with Sergeant Slaughter, for uh, pro wrestling crate, so we've got some. We've got, we've been able to do some cool stuff with some cool people. And you mentioned Flair just now. Any cool Flair stories? Uh, yeah, we we went out drinking on my birthday three years ago now, twenty seventeen, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was me and, and Rick and Wendy and Shane and Karen and uh, Jeff Hardy's wife. Jeff was on the road, um, but we were in North Carolina, so she was around, and uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, Rick is exactly who you'd think he is. Um, I tried to outdrink him without telling him I was trying to outdrink him, because <laughs> I, I figured if I knew, if he knew, then I, I had no chance. So I tried to have a, like a secret drinking contest with him, and he still outdrank me. And then the next morning, I mean. He, he shows up for a sign. He's in his suit. He was looking all crisp. And uh, I walked through the front door, and the lady checking my badge asked if I needed something for a headache. So <laughs> uh, he, he was he was definitely the man again. 
Well, I think the good news there, Mike, is that you remember this <laughs> the day after. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a wild night. You know, it was uh, just it was just a lot of fun. And I mean, Shane's a really good friend of mine. And you know, I don't know. Whenever we get together, like just dumb stuff happens. We've done a lot. We've had a lot of adventures together. And it's uh, it's one of the best parts about this. I mean, you know, I just when I started Headlock, I just wanted to make a cool wrestling comic. Like I never thought in a million years that I'd be friends with guys that I watched growing up, or you know, that I'd get to collaborate with some of my idols or any of it. You know, I mean, I've been super super lucky to to get where I'm at and. Uh, you know, I just want to keep it going as long as uh, as long as we can. Well, I know in my podcast experience with Peter getting wrestling types, uh, whether they're professionals that have been in the ring or around that world, how much of a connection there really is between wrestling and comics. In your instance, Mike, uh, putting this together and talking probably ad nauseum about comics and about characters and stuff like that, are there any, whether it's Marvel, DC, uh, independent stuff, that, uh, characters that keep coming up as as people's favorites, or maybe some unusual ones that have come up? I think everybody everybody's got, um, you know, everybody's got their own thing. You know, obviously I work with Jerry a lot, and Jerry's a, a enormous Superman fan, and Shane's a big fan of Black Adam, and um, you know, I. Christopher Daniels is more of a. I, I think when I think of him, I think of him as a John Byrne fan more than a character fan. Mm-hmm. Um, He's got an "I'm a John Byrne guy" T-shirt with a Wolverine drawn by John Byrne on the side. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. Um, but uh, you know, I think uh, you know, for the most part, I think everybody's got everybody's got their own their own little uh, their the thing that that excites them. I guess for me, it's uh, for me, it's concrete. So you know, it's a uh, it's a weird, uh, weird thing, I guess. Everybody's got their own. Uh, I want to say kink, but I guess I just said kink. So, <laughs> right back where we started, mm-hmm. uh, the kinks, Eddie. Yeah. Here we go around yeah. again. Yeah. Okay, day after back day. Back where we started. <laughs> Do it again. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, I was going kinks, with Eddie. I was going with a different artist altogether. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as of this recording right now, this is the week of San Diego Comic-Con at home, which, eh, uh-huh. eh. Uh-huh. oh, whoopee, we have Zoom panels. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like the thing about it that I've been following you on social media for a long time, and you've been posting a lot of social media posts pertaining to your memories of San Diego Comic-Con. And I feel like San Diego is where you really got your first big break because, yeah, it's it's gone up from there, you know? Well, I think one of the things is I'm the only wrestling booth at San Diego. You know, WWE might send a couple people to Mattel or whatever, but, I mean, I have the only wrestling booth at San Diego Comic-Con. So, you know, it tends to be a destination point for wrestling fans um, or wrestlers, for that matter. You know, uh, 2011, when CM Punk won the belt from John Cena and then, like, you know, stole the title, you know, in theory, not under contract. Um, he came to San Diego Comic-Con and crashed the WWE panel as like a surprise thing. And then he came up on the show floor and he went to Joe Thompson's booth and then he went to my booth and then he left because he had to go to LA for something. So, you know, it's, if you hang out long enough, eventually if there's a wrestler at San Diego Comic-Con, they're going to find their way to, to the headlock booth. So, you know, Sami Zayn showed up one year just 
hung out for the day with uh, with Sean Davari and uh, was Sammy Skank into the booth. What's that? Was Sammy Skank into the booth? <laughs> he did not. There was there was nary a, a skank to be had. But uh, he, uh, you know, and it, he he had a good time. I mean, he came by for two days. He would just take pictures with people if they came over. You know, he was super super chill and uh, you know a fun guy to be around. So it's uh, it's a you know I think that helps build our reputation a little bit and. It's one of the things, aside from making a cool wrestling comic, that I wanted to do is when I started doing conventions, nobody had, you know, there was no wrestling anywhere at Comic-Cons. If you're lucky, there's, you know, Virgil and Greg Valentine, you know, (laughs) signing or whatever, but they're not, Uh, they're not there because they want to be there. They're there to, you know, make a couple bucks and, you know, God bless them. Excuse Um, me, Mike, but it's wrestling superstar Virgil. Yes. So. Um, And that's, uh, you know, but there was never really a place and there wasn't anybody really putting out wrestling stuff. So, you know, I've always tried to, I guess I've always tried to, you know, sort of fly that flag. We were the first wrestling thing at probably a good, I'd say 15 to 20 comic cons that, you know, cons had no wrestling rules or they didn't want wrestlers. So I would be like, well, Hey, I have a wrestling comic. And they're like, okay, well you can come. They'd be like, well, I want to bring Jerry Lawler. They'd be like, well, we don't want any wrestlers. I'm like, well, he's an artist. I'm like, okay, you can bring him as an artist and they literally would put him like in the artist side. Like they wouldn't even list him as a celebrity. And then we'd show up and we'd blow the doors off the, the, the convention, you know, we'd have like a line triple wrapped around the booth. You know, my books would be gone by Saturday morning or whatever. And then, you know, from then on out, they booked wrestlers. So I like to think in a lot of ways, we, we open the door for a lot of wrestlers to, to do comic cons. You know, I did a show on a promoter, one of the promoters was offered Roddy Piper as a guest and the promoter literally only knew him as the guy from they live and said, no. So, Oh God. Oof. I mean, that's sort of the bubble, you know, people are, you know, people get in their bubbles and there's people in comics that are just in the comics bubble and they didn't understand. So I do feel like we've, we've done a lot to, to sort of expand wrestling into the comic con world. So. Is it still though, do you think um, over recent last couple of years let's say there's been resistance to booking them at the cons now or is it more open now more relaxed there's still some i mean i was turned down last year jerry and i were turned down last year to con um but they're a weird show um so i mean it doesn't happen as much anymore but it still happens periodically well you know people i know of a convention where they go uh no pro wrestlers like that, that's one of their advertising points i'm not going to say the name of them but i'm which thinking is funny because i was yeah. i was a guest there Oh, okay. I, I think I know which convention we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that was the convention I, I met were, you at. Were a guest there, so. Yeah, I was going to say if it was a really a, a, a niche kind of a con, maybe that's why that would happen. But I'm not sure. I'm actually going to show Eddie yeah. off mic uh, mm-hmm. the Twitter account of them. Twitter account. It's that one, like Eddie. It, but don't say it. Okay, gotcha. It makes it makes me laugh just because, like, I don't know. You know, one of the things that I always hear from old school comics guys, they, they decry comic cons and they're not about comics anymore and whatever. But like at the end of the day, I would rather sell my stuff to 125,000 pop culture fans than 500 guys in a, in a holiday inn ballroom. And I, I think you just got to make your stuff. You got to, you got to figure out a way to get in front of people and you got to adapt. I mean, some of these <clears throat> Some of these old school guys will just sit at their table and not engage fans and <coughs> throw their 
stuff on the table and just be like, you know, buy it. And they don't provide a fan experience or, you know, they're not, you know, providing stuff for different crowds. And, you know, so I make wrestling comics. We also do art prints. You know, we have wrestling guests. I mean, I had Jeannie Buss at San Diego last year, the owner of the Lakers, you know. It's a, it's entertainment is competitive. I mean, you're just not competing with other comics. You're competing with, uh, you know, YouTube videos. You're competing with Fortnite. I mean, you're basically competing for someone's time and attention. So, you know, I, I, I don't understand why people would intentionally narrow the fan base or narrow the number of people that you could sell to. Eddie, do you know but, what Fortnite is? Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't gone anywhere near it, but yeah. Lucky you. Nope. Anyway, <laughs> but... One of the things also, you know, with, you know, you posting the San Diego Comic-Con memories, it's it's one of those things that makes me so sad that, you know, that's not going to happen this year. We're not going to have that experience of all that. I, you know, this was the year I was going to try and go this year because I would have been able to for once. Didn't happen, but, you know. It's, it's tough, man. I You know, and that's one of the hardest things for me. Like, I mean, the upside is that I've been home longer. I've been able to produce more content. Um which is helpful, but like, you know, from a, from a creative standpoint, you know what I mean? Like I feel disconnected from my people. Um, it's so weird, isn't you it? You know what I mean? All my, all my creative friends and stuff. I mean, obviously we, you know, we podcast and we do, you know, zoom stuff and whatever, but like, it's just, it's not the same, you know, as being the energy that I get. I do almost every comic con, like in between working, I do, you know, working a full-time job and I work at night. So a lot of times I will work and then I will leave work and go right to the airport, fly to a show, do the first day of show on no sleep mm-hmm. and then turn my schedule 24 hours and then fly back home and then go to work from the airport, you know, but still like I leave those shows feeling so energized when you meet, you know, when you meet supporters and you meet people that are reading your stuff, when you meet other creatives and see what they're doing, like it's impossible not to, to come away from that energized and that is one thing that i definitely have been missing is just sort of connecting with my artists and and writing friends and you know people who love comics and read comics and stuff because you know i live in the suburbs of upstate new york so it's not uh exactly a bastion of creativity and the funniest thing is also with the lack of you know being able to be in san diego this year i know a number of people different uh, people in the comic community that are talking about one element and it's the, you know, lack of being able to go to the certain restaurants and things like that in San Diego because of this. For example, Ron Mars just posted today on his uh, Twitter, uh, there was a, uh, what's it called? This uh, Cafe 222, I believe. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, peanut butter stuffed French toast. He was talking about the uh, pumpkin waffles. Huh? And yeah, they have, uh, they have peanut butter stuffed French toast that are amazing. That sounds incredible. And, like... I associate you also with a lot of the food stuff because, you know, your social media posts during conventions are delicious. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. funny. San Diego has a, a, we have a tradition. There's a pancake place called Snooze that makes the best, single best breakfast item I've ever had. It's an off-menu cinnamon roll pancake that, I mean, I would push a nun with a walker over to get at. So. <laughs> and I know... Uh, I, we were talking to uh, Amy Chu yesterday, and she was talking about also this taco place, like right by the uh, convention center. I think it's like on uh, Wednesdays when everyone's coming in, and she's talking about how all of that, you know, delicious tacos there. 
can't get the tacos now. Yeah, it's and that's that's unfortunate because I love like I mean, I live about twenty minutes north of Albany, New York. It is not a great food area, um, you know. And that's one of the things that I love is you know I didn't travel, you know I grew up reasonably poor, lower class or whatever, and I didn't travel until I was older. So like I love getting around. It's funny, you know, I live where I live. I live two and a half hours north of New York City, but the first time I ever went to New York City was for Samoa Joe and Kenta Kabashi in 2005. So, um, but uh, I, you know, I love getting out, like Kansas City. Like, I love Kansas City, man. It's, it's got, like, two of my three favorite food places in, like, the history of whatever. Like, if I was going to the chair, I'd probably pick one of those two places to, to eat at, so. So we just got a question, got it through uh, Twitter. Hurricane Helms wants to know, which do you prefer, Energizer batteries or dead bees? <laughs> Can't answer that question. <laughs> All right, I'm going to reply back to him with that. Can't answer that question. <laughs> oh, man. And on a different level, me too. <laughs> Now, one of the things also in regards to just the convention scene in general, you know, it is that sense of community and like how we all know so many of the same people. And it's also the repeat customers, you know, you see the same people going around. It is that sense of community and family that I so miss very much. Yeah. And especially at San Diego, because it's San Diego is like a weird summer camp because you hold the same space year over year over year. So it's like, you know, one, like there's some people you just see like once a year and you pull into your spot. Like I got Billy Tucci across the aisle and I got Brian Polito across from me and I got Tom Zeller behind me. And, you know, I see them every year. And, you know, some, you know, the booths change a little bit, like where Brian Polito was, Dan Cooney used to be. And I think he moved into Artist Alley. And it's, but it's, so it's like you, you see like your family almost like a, you pull in and, hey, what's up? What have you been up to? And, you know, and then and then the, the same people come to your booth every year. And, you know, I've got pictures with people that I've taken, like, you know, every year for the last, you know, 10 years. And it's, I mean, that part of it is uh, is a thing that, that really bothers me out. You know, I split a booth with Terry Cronin, who is, uh, he's an author of, uh, a, does a number of things. He's a total renaissance man. You know, he writes comics. He He's done horror comics, all ages comics. He made a food show, uh, a detective novels. He made a wrote a novel. He's just he's a real real talented dude. But you know, we we've split this booth for you know since I've had it, and uh, he lives in Florida, and I don't I don't get to see him as much. And you know, San Diego's our time to spend you know like the week together hanging out. And I won't have that. And it, it uh, we had a bunch of good signings lined up this year. I was going to have uh, Jake the Snake Roberts lined up. I had uh, Lita and Gail Kim lined up. Um, golf was going to try to come back. Um, and that was, you know, we had that. Usually I don't have it lined up that soon, but, like, things were showing up early this year. We made this super, super dope, like, Jake the Snake Roberts grindhouse art print that we still have not has not seen the light of day yet. So Do you think it will? Because I really want to see that now. It's It's excellent. Send me the DM or something. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send it. it. It's super, super dope. Um, one thing also... We you... made a... Oh, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. 
No, it was, we, we had made ones uh, like Grindhouse-style posters for uh, the Outsiders from New York last year and for Scott Steiner at San Diego last year. They're, uh, they're very popular, and I think they're a lot of fun to, to come up with. Um, okay, you just so. said Scott Steiner. That has me thinking. I, all I can think of is a story of him. Uh, he has never been to a Wawa before, and he wanted nectarines. Uh, give me six. Hard. So apparently that was a thing with a friend of mine. That's the end of that anecdote, but um, he, yeah, Steiner is an interesting dude. Um, I met him at WrestleCon, and it was the most awkward moment because I was like, "Yeah, I loved you in WWE. I hated it there." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, see you later." But he's, uh, he's an interesting guy. He's always been a sweetheart to me. Um, he's, but I, he's definitely got like a, he's definitely got like a layer, um, like an onion in between. or a parfait. In between, it's more like a wall, I'd say, you know, like between people and stuff. But Jerry Toot? He's, uh, he's always been a real sweetheart to me. And uh, most of, honestly, most everybody in the wrestling business has been really, really good to me. So, because I think they know, like, I'm just trying to make something cool. Like, I don't take money from people. Like, if they sign something at my booth, like, I don't take a percentage or whatever. Like, I let guys come and make whatever they make. And, I, you know, they do stories for me. And we all try to help each other. And I think people... I think we have a comfortable relationship because it's not, you know, they know like we're not trying to make our name, you know, money off of each other's names. We're just trying to do our things and stuff. So am I mistaken uh, or did you have, did you ever have uh Fred, uh, what's his name? Fred Typhoon Ottman as a uh, guest before. Yes. Uh, he's the nicest WrestleCon, guy. Maybe the last time it was in new Orleans and then we did, uh, he was at uh, Infinity Con up here with me, um, but I yeah, I love Fred. Fred did a piece of art in the last headlock, headlock book we did the hard way. So you said uh, Infinity Con was that the Lake George one? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that was they were packed that show. There's so many people at that show. It was uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a, it was a big one. Wall to wall of people, so many Deadpool cosplayers, so many Harley Quinn cosplayers. <laughs> It's tricky sometimes, you know. It's funny. You think uh, you think some shows are going to show up. People have been trying to make Capital Region shows happen for years, and they just—it's just not the area. I don't know. The Rhode Island people have a show now that they're doing like an, you know, there's a there's a very strong old school Albany Comic Con that does very well twice a year. But people have been trying to make big pop pop culture shows in Albany for years, and it just it doesn't take. Albany Comic Con is surprisingly one of those shows that. Depending on when, usually, Eddie, right? It's, if this is the one you're saying, yeah, I was going to say it's a smaller size thing, pretty much, but they'll it's have consistent. good guests. Yeah. Yes, From they time have. To time. Right. And it's the best of what I think of when I think of like old school, old school like ballroom shows. Like it's yeah. a, you know, there's a lot of times I find those those shows to be like tedious in a lot of ways, but the Albany Comic Con is oddly is is really really well run and it's. We usually have really good guests, and I always have a lot of fun there. Which it's just unfortunate that a lot of times I have I'm pre-booked for other shows, or I've bought booths at other places. But when they when they announce their stuff, so I think the last time I went was the time I saw you there. I don't think I've been able to go back since. And that was when I insulted the guest behind you, and you go, "Oh, they're so and so," and I go, "Kayfabe." And <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not forget. Uh, and give a few names out as to who we have seen at Albany Comic Con. Name names, Eddie. And an interview, too, at least. Uh, Jim Starlin, Joe Sinat, who's 
it, who was in that area, Socrates, actually. R.I.P. Joe Staten. How many more? Geez, there's, there's there's a bunch of them, and I've gotten faces going through my brain, but i I got to match them up with names. And, of course... You've seen a million faces. The wrestling icon who mistook my Reed Richards cosplay for a pharmacist. The late Mean Gene Okerlund. I will never forget... Gene was the best. Wearing a lab coat. Yeah, Gene looks at A and goes, Me, not Are him. you a pharmacist? <laughs> Which well, is, it's pretty, you know, it's relevant to his interests, probably, you know? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. There he was been... a fun guy, man. I, yeah. I, he, you know, I did a couple shows with him in Chicago, and he unabashedly hit on every woman that <laughs> got within five feet of him. <laughs> I mean, he was the... He was he the tutti fruity, The dirty old man personified, but he was so funny. I mean, he was hysterical. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't help but not, but, but laugh when he was around. And it was funny to watch Eddie just have a long conversation with him about radio. I think, yeah, yeah, because I told him he had a great voice, and he did do some stuff in radio, and yeah, it was very good. It's always interesting to me, like, the guys are good, you know, guys that are good at one thing are also good at something else. You know what I mean? Like, all the guys that contributed art to my books or whatever, like, everybody's got, that's always, to me, the way in. You know what I mean? I think that's why I've been able to be good friends with a lot of people, because, you know, I'm asking them, I'm not asking them about wrestling. You know what I mean? A million people just want them to be wrestlers. And that's how I got Jerry to do covers for me. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's asking Jerry about Andy Kaufman and wrestling, whatever. And I'm like, hey, you want to do some art? And that's his, his secret love, you know? And then that's, and then we're, we're doing some stuff. So I think I've had I conversations with him about Neil Adams to... in the past. Because, hmm. like, his art style, like, when he's, you know, doing sketches and stuff, it reminds me of Neil Adams, like, hardcore. He does, Jerry's Jerry's a little bit of a, I want to say a chameleon in a lot of ways. Like he he has a lot of he can do just about anything. I mean, I've seen him do stuff that like I don't know. He's amazing. Like he obviously he does Norman Rockwell stuff for us. I've seen him do very Neil Adams inspired stuff. I've seen him do Kurt Schwan inspired stuff. Um, that I would love to see. He's uh, I and it's funny because it's just every piece of art that he's ever done for me, he's done it on the day that it's due. <laughs> He does it in one day. The ultimate artist. It's amazing. Like we, yeah. so when we first got together, like I sent him an email through his website. Like I forgot I did it after I did it. Like it was like a lark, and I'm like, oh, you know, let's see if Jerry Lawler will do a cover for me. You know, and like two weeks later, I get an email back, and uh, I think it's from the webmaster, but whatever. I send some comics off, and then a week later, he calls me and he says he'll do it. So I meet up with him at a Northeast wrestling show. And he's like, all right, I got a sketch here I want you to look at. So he shows me a sketch of the cover. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. And he's like, all right, I'll work on this. And then, uh, you know, I'd be like, hey, how's it going? How's it going? Oh, I'm, you know, I'll have it for you. I'll have it for you. And then finally I'm like, hey, listen, I got to have it by this date. And it sort of coincided with a, another Northeast wrestling show. So I get to the show. And he's like, I didn't have a chance to finish it. I'll finish it tonight and then, you know, come get it in the morning. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I come back over and he gets up. He's like, all right, yeah, I'm just about to, to finish it up. And he takes it out and it's literally the first sketch that he showed me like four months ago. So he hasn't touched it since then. Oh, God. And he just sat down. And I mean, now I'm used to it. Like, that's how he works. Um, you know, I just, sat on the edge of the bed and I just watched him paint this cover and it was amazing. And 
you know, the door was open and like different wrestlers that were on the show would come in and out and check it out. Like, you know, and at the time, like Samoa Joe was there and like, I knew, I knew Joe from wrestling and stuff and he, he liked my books. So, you know, he comes in, he sits down, we're just watching Jerry paint this thing. We're like, man, this is so cool, you know? And, uh, it was, uh, it was really neat. And I watched him paint the entire cover and then he gave it to me and I uh, took it off to get, uh, to get scanned. So. And one thing about that with the Norman Rockwell aspect of it, it's such a uh, contrast to the content of it, you know, where it's very, uh, very serious. And then you have the you know, whimsicalness of the Rockwell style. It's, it's such, it works so well for that, you know? Well, the theme, obviously, for Headlock has always been about wrestling as an art form. So, you know, obviously having wrestlers create the art or co-create stories, but having like a fine art cover with like a wrestling bent to it, it all just, you know, we're just beating everybody over the head with the theme, I guess. But, you know, it's what I like to do, I guess. I thought having a, you know, going that way. And like I said, Jerry loves Norman Rockwell. So like we go to the, you know, when he used to come up for Raw, we'd go to the Norman Rockwell Museum. It's about an hour away from my house and, you know, nerd out. So it's, uh, it's funny when people, people know people a certain way, you know, and obviously everybody knows Jerry based off his sort of, you know, personality his his television personality but like you know we go to art museums and like nerd out over you know art and paintings and you know we'll get right up into these paintings and like look at the brush strokes and stuff and it's it's fun just to you know to, to know somebody that way i guess in a way that most other people don't but he's a he's such a cool dude and he's done so much for me i couldn't i i'd never be where i was without him so and, you know, it's funny because all of that artwork, you know, it's... I don't know where I'm going with this. We'll figure it out along the way. I'm just talking with my hands now for the audio podcast. As you're walking through and admiring the pieces hanging on the tapestries and, yes, everything. Okay. Was that a song lyric? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But... You ponder. I agree. You know, it's the whole idea of, you know, seeing that stuff up close and personal, seeing the brush strokes, and it's each, you know, thing... You know, how do I say it? It's each level of what the artist has made. That's why, like, last year, the uh, Society of Illustrators, I believe, in New York City, they had a Batman exhibit. And I'm looking up close at, like, some Frank Miller work, Neil Adams' work, and I can see the ink, like, each ink uh, ink stroke on, the, you know, the paintings and the, the, the work. And it's incredible to see. They had original Alex Ross stuff, and to see that up close and personal is insane. We did uh, we did a show in Stockton called Stockton Con, and one of the sort of benefits they had for guests was there's a the Stockton Museum had the largest collection of J.C. Lyon Decker art, and he did the post covers before Rockwell, and uh, you know Jerry and I went I, I swear we went for like four hours, and like there's there was a person there that they, they took us down in the basement, they let us look at sketches and like art that wasn't up on you know that wasn't up, and you know we looked at the exhibits obviously, but then you know we spent hours there just they just pull stuff out and be like oh check this out check this out and it was it's was so cool like, it was such a such a neat experience and it's funny because there's so much so much art that you have that level of comics and it borrows so much from other art forms and other art forms borrow so much from comics you know you look at again you know going back over to the Rockwell Alex Ross comparison they're both so similar in terms of what they do and how they pull it off you know I will always say that Michelangelo was the first comic book artist. I can see that. 
I mean, wow. yeah. telling, a, telling a story with it, you know, the, the dynamic positioning and all that. I mean, I, I, to me, he's, he's the, uh, the original comic book artist. And, you know, speaking of comics in general, what are some, like, series that you're reading right now? Like, not just Marvel, but, like, maybe DC, Image, Indie, Dark Horse, etc.? The dirty little secret about comics is if you make comics, you generally don't have time to read comics. <laughs> um, but uh, I, uh, man, I've been reading. I was I'm not all the way through it, and I think it's already switched to a different series. But I was reading. I've been reading Descender, uh, which I really liked. Um, what else have I been reading? Uh, Southern Bastards, which I like a lot. Um, the new. Uh, I've read some of the new uh, Kick-Ass series that they put out. Um, is it still going on? I ended up dropping it, but I don't remember if it's still going on. I mean, I haven't read anything. I mean, in a in a minute. So I, I I stay loyal to my comic book store. So I grew up in Syracuse, which is two and a half hours uh, west of where I live now, and I had the same comic book store for a good chunk of my life, and then it closed one day. And it was super, like, it was a, a real painful experience. Like, they knew who I was there. I could come in. They'd just hand me my books. They knew what I liked. They'd recommend stuff, you know. And I was, it was a while, like, a couple of weeks before I could try a new place. And so I went to this new place, you know, and the, and the guy there was super nice to me. And he was really, really great. So when I moved out here um, in two thousand. In 2000, I never wanted to take my business from him. So every week he sends me a, he sends me an email, and I tell him what to hold for me. And then you know, probably every other month he will uh, he'll mail me books. And uh, so I'm not necessarily uh, plugged in like I used to be. So um, that part of it is difficult and I get a lot of books off of Kickstarter, you know, like I try to, as a guy who runs, you know, who runs Kickstarters, I try to support people on Kickstarter too. So I think I've backed like 180 some odd Kickstarters or whatever. Just, I noticed that you know, I try to be part of the community. Yeah. Cause I saw like Michael has backed X member. I'm like, Holy shit. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's, I feel like too many people come into comics and they just want, you know, it's what can you do for me? Yeah. And, and I see it all the time. Like people come in and ask me how to break in. They put their, they put their stuff on top of my books, you know, it shows or whatever. And they don't give a, you know, they don't give a crap about what I'm doing. They just want me to help them. And I feel like, you know, if you want to be in the community, you got to be a part of the community. And you help each I know other. But in, you know, how nerve wracking Kickstarter is like I gain 10 to 15 pounds every time I run one. Um, and, you know, because there's no right answer. Like, it's never going to be enough. Like, and I don't care about the money per se. Like, I just want people to want to read my stuff. And so, like, it could, I could never do, there's never going to be a level that I don't push for. Like, you know what I mean? I'm at where I'm at right now. And we just crossed $20,000 today. Like, you know, but I'm going to push for more backers. And, you know, I'm doing, you know, I took a week off from work and just to do every podcast I can and to, you know, to do articles and whatever, just to, to make it go. But I mean, it's a nerve wracking thing and people can cancel on you. I mean, there was a day, the 4th of July weekend, I woke up three days in a row to cancel pledges and it's, 
it's impossible not to take it personally. And, you know, people have stuff happen, you know, somebody, and I mean, I know somebody lost their job or whatever, and it, it happens, you know what I mean? But like, if you don't know those people, <laughs> it's just somebody doesn't want to read your stuff. And it's, it's like a, a constant judgment, I guess, you know, for, for 40 days, you're just up there on a pedestal and, you know, you kind of see who wants to support you and who doesn't want to support you. And that part of it is, is extremely anxiety inducing. It's in, you know, there's just so much that there is for the Kickstarter. Like what is the one bit of advice you would give somebody for doing a Kickstarter? You got it. There's so much planning that's got to go into it. Um, you know, a lot of times, um, and you have to, you have to be ready. Like you're going to, you're going to be heavy at the beginning and you're going to do heavy at the end and in the middle is just going to be a lull. So no matter how many days you do it, if you do it for 30 days, if you do it for 60 days, you know, they say you get like 30 to 40% at the beginning and 30 to 40% at the end. And then the entire middle is like, you know, 20%. And it's just brutal. Like, you know, I mean, you can go days, you know, I'll go like a, you know, you might go a whole day without a backer. You know, you're tweeting about it and you're putting it out there. And, you know, you get to a point where there's people who see your, who see your stuff and they're like, geez, I wish you'd just shut up about it, you know? But the problem is, is that social media throttles Kickstarter posts back. So like, I'll have, I had a friend that was running a Kickstarter today and I didn't even, I didn't even know it. Like, I mean, we're Facebook friends. I like his stuff. I follow his stuff. I never saw a post for it until today. And there's 20 hours left in the campaign or no, I'm sorry, 20 minutes left in the campaign. Mm. So, I mean, I backed it right before it closed, but otherwise I wouldn't have known. So like that part of it is frustrating. Like when I first did it, it was so easy. Like you put stuff up on Facebook, tweets didn't disappear in 15, you know, 15 seconds. And it was a lot easier to get the word out. But, you know, now all these social media companies throttle your, throttle your post back and stuff. So it's, it's so much harder than it used to be, especially now. Like, cause, cause doing shows was a big part of it for me. I would do four to six shows during a Kickstarter and I'd have four to six panels to talk about it. I'd be able to talk about it with people that come to my booth and give them cards. And, you know what I mean? I would always generate, some leads off of that but you know for not being able to do shows like this has been the hardest and most nerve-wracking kickstarter that i've done because i don't have access to people individually i'm not going to call people individually and make a hard sell you know what i mean but like you don't have that necessarily platform where i can interact with somebody and talk about it so you know you just yell into the void and hope somebody listens and that's a it's uh, it's a, it's definitely a recipe for uh, you know eating a whole pint of ice cream every day. <laughs> what flavors have you done? Wow. Oh man, I tell you, I uh, I, I like uh, I've been. They say your taste buds change like every seven years. So right now I'm on like a s'mores, a s'mores kick, um, a marshmallow type kick, and I that was nothing I ever really craved before. But I went through a period where I loved like lemon desserts and whatnot. But I'm actually making. Uh, Saturday night is a, like a celebration type thing. We're making a making a graham cracker waffle, and I've got some high end chocolate to melt in the in the nooks and crannies. And then we made homemade marshmallows that I'm going to torch and make like a s'more sandwich, like a s'mores waffle sandwich. I'm very excited about that. That sounds delicious. Yes, it does. It, I'm like the I'm like the MacGyver of type two diabetes. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Um, <laughs> Eddie, 
Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> going back to what you said too, Mike, about uh, guys going, having a booth, but just putting their stuff down and saying, okay, buy it. Uh, you know, they're going into it with the wrong mindset because it's not like, okay, this is, I'm here. Uh, you know, whether they don't either know why they should be there or have the interest, the whole mindset, yeah, it has to be that, okay, you're here for a common interest and you want to create interaction so let's you know find a way to get people to the table and to like you say interact with them and and strike up some friendships and whatnot 2020 man you gotta find you gotta find you gotta go out and get your audience there's too many there's too many things that are going to be in front of people yeah that you know between between them and your thing like you gotta go get them and that's what i've always been able to do and that's i think that's why i've had more success than any other wrestling comic just because I go to wrestling shows, um, you know, I go to WrestleCon, I go to indie shows, I co-create stuff with indie shows. Like we have a, we have a special thing that that we put together for uh, for GCW on Sunday night, and it's gonna tie in with our Kickstarter and you know whatever. You just gotta do what you gotta do to get in front of your fan base. Like you just can't expect people, you know, you can't expect people to come to you. Or you're never gonna grow, and there's always going to be a certain percentage. I think is everybody who, who knows comics. I mean, people fall off with every issue, you know? So you've got to, you've got to refresh the, refresh the, you know, the front end of that to well, keep people you know, entertained. I might've missed it earlier, but if you could say it again, or if just wasn't asked to you, how long have you been doing this, uh, being into the wrestling and putting out the, the, you know, the printed material and going to the shows? When did that start for you? Our first, uh, our first books were published in 2008 um, and I did single issue floppies. Um, they didn't do great, you know, and that's when I realized that I had to do something different. Um, I, we, we were, uh, our first four issues were published by Marcosia and we put them through diamond and I took, I took a week off from school and I drove to every comic book store in three States. I talked to the owners. I talked to people who worked there or whatever. I gave him a copy of the book and was like, you know, if you have wrestling fans, they're going to like this. And people couldn't have been more indifferent. I mean, some guys are like, yeah, I only carry top 50. Um, you know, I just, I don't carry indies, all kinds of stuff. Um, and I get it. You know what I mean? They've seen, they've seen a million failed startups. They've seen a million guys, you know, come and go. So I understand it. To a certain extent, but I mean, like, I had people trying to order the books through Diamond, and like, retailers just wouldn't order them. They tell them, "Oh, I can't get it," but it was available. They just didn't want to do it. So, like, that part of it, like, I knew comic book stores weren't going to be the solution for me. So, I started going to wrestling shows, and like I said, I would sell it on my backpack at wrestling shows, and then I would buy a merch table at a wrestling show. Like, I can get a merch table at a wrestling show for like twenty five, fifty bucks. A Comic Con table is three hundred. You know what I mean? And everybody there likes wrestling. And one of the things that I tell you that I'm probably most proud of, I feel like I've brought more people to comics than most creators. You know, when you think about what brings people to comics, it's usually the characters. Like, somebody picks up a comic because they know who Spider-Man is, not necessarily because they know who Brian Michael Bendis is. You know? Mm -hmm. But Headlock has been a ton of people's first comic book. And people have gone on to read comics or become fans of comics because of Headlock. And I feel, I feel really, really proud about that. Like I'm doing my part for, you know, for, for comics, for the art form or whatever, in a way that 
I could probably argue that comics never really did for me. Like, I thought we were going to sell like 10,000, you know what I mean? One of the things, though, that really got me was I remember you ended up uh, bringing a bunch of the books to Midtown Comics in New York City. I saw the Grand Central location, and I only saw them one time there. The next time I went, they were all gone. And, you know, I I put it up on social media with the uh, caption, I get to see some friends when I visit the city. So, Yeah, I remember that. You know, and that's the thing. The places that did order them, they sold out, you know. Um, Third Eye in uh, Maryland at one point, I think they had like 30 subscribers, you know what I mean? But there wasn't enough places that were going to put in any work for me. And I I understand now why they wouldn't. Like, I guess when I was younger, I didn't understand. I was just like, oh, these guys are jerks. But you don't necessarily understand what the business of comics is. And that was probably the first you know, two to three years of me breaking in was trying to understand this is a business that looks a lot bigger on the outside than it is. And, you know, people say to me, oh, you got that Spider-Man money. And I'm like, nope, I don't, you know, Spider-Man, you know, people who write Spider-Man don't have that Spider-Man money. But, you know, it's, uh, I always loved it. And like I said, I don't, I never really cared about making money. Like I just wanted to make, I just want to make enough money to make the next book and just to keep making content. Like I have a job you know, a real job that pays my bills and keeps my lights on. So, you know, every dollar I make through Headlocked goes to artists, it goes to printers, it goes to, to, you know, more content, more convention tables, bigger spaces. You know, we have a 10 by 20 booth at New York Comic Con now. You know, we jam up the aisles every year, but that, you know, that's a four-figure booth to buy, so. Wow. Now, you know, just, you gotta, I was going to say, it just came to to the forefront of my mind, and, and maybe when I say it, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, or been like, duh, Eddie, no kidding. Is that Spider-Man starting off, wanting to make money, in the ring, wrestling. There's your connection. <laughs> Hello. Well, so I, Hi, Ed McGinnis and I actually have a, a Spider-Man pitch in at Marvel to try to do something. And we wanted to do it. We want to do a thing pitch, ultimately, a thing story. That's our sort of dream project together. But uh we actually have a pitch in to do a Spider-Man story, but, you know, I, it's such a different world now than it was you know, six months ago. Yeah. So it's hard to say what, uh, what's going to happen, but uh, I definitely, I mean, I've got pitches. I mean, there's not a lot of superhero stuff that I think that I'd really want to write, but I would definitely love to write um, the thing. So, yeah, we made a Crusher Hogan pitch. Mm. Um, and, uh it was uh, it'd be super fun if we ever get to make it. So. And one one thing that you mentioned, by the way, is you have your regular nine to five job, and you're building towards the dream of you know the wrestling comic. You're investing in it. You're investing in yourself, and that's one of the things a lot of people should do with you know what they believe in and what they're going towards. You know, like me with the podcast with me and Eddie. I've invested money into this show and you have to do that. If you do something that you really believe in, you have to invest in yourself because you're that stock, you know? And well, I mean, honestly, if you won't invest in yourself, why would somebody else? Yeah, exactly. You know? And, and that's the thing I've always been about. You know, my first, the first headlock book, I worked two jobs for a year to pay for artists, printer, um, to pay for some convention tables, you know, to get the whole thing started. And I knew it was what I wanted to do and it costs money. And there's a, there's a cost to that. And some people have seen people argue about, you know, there's a paywall behind comics and there most certainly is like nobody's first gig is going to be a paying gig unless you're an amazing artist. But as a writer, 
nobody's going to pay. You have to be able to prove that you can make a comic before, you know, like before anybody will let you write a comic for them, you have to pr prove that you can like publish a, an entire comic book, which is such a weird thing, you know, like it's like, you know, before proving that you could farm, you know, to get a job farming, you have to, you know, make a five-star meal at a restaurant. Yeah. So no. it's, uh, it's a weird, it's a weird deal, but you know, it's, and it's the it's the parallel of like uh, in wrestling when you invest in your character, you have to invest in your gear. You can't have shitty looking gear. You have to like actually invest in some quality. And one of the things that I always think about is the advice of the wrestler Raven when he goes, eh, you know, you should do this. And like you know, buy a jacket, buy a robe, or whatever. Present yourself, you know. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, your presentation is everything, and that's why like you know over the years, I mean, I've had several different. You can see the way our booth has evolved, and I mean before like at the beginning of this year it's funny we were i was about to invest in a different uh different display like a, a more jacked up uh neat display to have so you know all of that stuff all that stuff matters i mean people see that stuff and people respond to it you know and you're never going to be able to do it right out of the box you just got to try to you got to make something that you love and that you're excited to make and then you've got to get people to sort of feel your enthusiasm for it and then you can worry about, you know, growing from there. But I mean, this has been a, been a 12 year process to get where I'm at. And, uh, it's, I mean, it's been a lot of, <laughs> a lot of hours in a car by myself. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you look at the San Diego memories, it's a, you know, it looks real good, but, and it is, I mean, it's amazing. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but there's a lot of hours, you know, driving by myself, um, you know, chained to a laptop into my desk just you know chasing down artists you know uh wrangling wrestlers just dealing with everything that you could possibly imagine trying to convince you know people to to read this to give it a shot or whatever but again nobody else is going to do it but me so exactly you know. and like you know when i when i saw the book for the very first time it was at that one convention that we talked about and I remember one of the most notable things about it was, yeah, it's a comic by an independent creator. A lot of independent creators don't invest in themselves, really. Like, they'll, you know, do the bare minimum. Your book, on the other hand, was, you know, wonderfully packaged. Like It was like a book that you would get at a Barnes & Noble or a, you know, you know, a comic book shop. Like, actual, like, quality to it. And I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. Then you look inside holy shit, this is fantastic, you know? It's, it's funny on some level because I would say, like, we're we're too big to be indie, but, you know, too indie to be big, I guess. But it's, uh, you know, in a, in a weird sort of space. But, you know, I, I want, you know, again, you're competing with everybody, you know? You're, you're, you're competing with everybody. So you, if you can't put your best foot forward, if you don't have, if, if you ever look at your stuff and be like, yeah, that'll have to do, like, you've already lost because... I mean, that's the one thing I do indie comics panels and breaking into comics panels at shows. And I try to give people advice and stuff. And I'll be like, listen, this is what, a, this is what a week in my life is like. Now think about this. I guarantee you that 90% of you that came to this panel didn't hear, never heard of me before you walked in the door. And that's how hard I work just to be unknown. So think about how hard, you know what I mean? Everybody else is working. And again, you know, that element of you investing in yourself, 
and making the best quality product. You know, Eddie and I on our you know side, we have the little business cards we give out. And I've seen other podcasts give out business cards, and quite frankly, they're just they're cards you can get printed up at Staples or Kinkos and shitty card stock, just terrible looking design to it. What did we sure. do, Eddie? Invest, network. Yeah, and you know, be proud. The whatever qu- you know. the quality, and like I always lovingly say, you know. I refer to uh, my friend Anthony Carmisi, who, uh, when he was pitching me to buy business cards off of him back in the day, you know, I'd, I'd design them and he'd get them printed for me. He goes, these are going to be Gambit cardstock. This is the kind of cardstock Gambit would use. And I'm like, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> and when I, you know, pitched the cards to him, I said, hey, we're doing cards for the podcast. Can you uh, give me that Gambit cardstock? And he's like, hell yeah, I can. So we got the cards like that. And sure. And I mean, I've seen you from the beginning. I mean... And how far you you've taken this thing? So I mean, I know I know how many hours that you put in, and how much how much uh, how much hustle you got too. So oh hell yeah, definitely respect that. And one of the things, by the way, like we're all thinking about how the convention scene is going to be different, and how things are you know going to be affected because of COVID nineteen. And by the way, you'll appreciate this. Every time I call it COVID nineteen, I don't call it coronavirus because I think of that meme with a uh, it says calling it coronavirus, and it's a picture of Kurt Henning in his uh, singlet calling it coronavirus, him when he was the uh, executive uh, manager of Ric Flair. Think of <laughs> it. You know, it's very uh, formal. But anyway, I digress. A little Kevin Gill in there. I just uh, have one well, last question myself. I, but... I had a point still. Oh, make. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it was but dull to me, but go ahead. How dare you, sir? <laughs> but one of the things is how it's going to affect conventions, like how, we, you know, we do stuff. Let's say, for example, you know, I'm going around giving out my cards. That's going to be kind of hard now because there's going to be way more germaphobes. You know, oh, I'll take your card. I get, is it sanitized? You know, and you look at now the convention scene of you're in, you know, you're an independent creator and you have your books on the table. What's going to happen with that? Like somebody flipping through them, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's the, I, I definitely wonder about the, uh, the flipping, the flipping through it part of it. That definitely makes me, uh, that definitely makes me nervous. I mean, the the prints obviously I can put into sleeves and whatnot, but uh, the uh, the books are something that you know. I mean, you want people to be able to look at it, so then I'll have to determine, you know, what am I going to do with that? How am I going to how am I going to let people be able to? If I can make a suggestion, maybe like an LED screen or something behind you. And that's what I thought about, you know, an iPad or something like that. To, you know, it's just the, the the thing that's that's difficult for me is that, uh, you know, usually from show to show, like I try not to ship anything because it's just another expense. So I try to get everything in my luggage, and you know, an iPad stand is heavy, and it's mm. less shirts I can bring. It's you know what I mean. It becomes like an issue of you have to sort of determine what the, you know, what's sort of cost effective and whatnot. But I thought about. Uh, I've definitely thought about, you know, an iPad stand. Imagine bringing the uh, podium for the uh, anonymous raw general manager. That would be rough. <laughs> yeah, it's a different uh, it's a different animal altogether. Um, Swaggle was involved. <laughs> Real quick, did you um, ever do anything with him? Not yet. He would be um, perfect. You know what's, what's been tricky for me now is that with so many uh, so many people are getting signed, um, you know, under exclusive contracts and whatnot. So 
like it becomes an issue of I kind of got to get people when I can get people. So, um, you know, so it becomes, uh, you know, oh, this guy's about to sign. I got to, I got to try to make a deal with him before he signs. And, uh, you know, so a lot of times now my creative things, my creative endeavors tend to be sort of more based that way. Right. My last thing, Mike, to ask, and it goes back to when you said, well, I really don't have time right now when I'm putting out a publication, comics, that to, to be reading anything. But the young Mike Kingston, years and years ago, what were you uh, coming up on comic book-wise? X-Men was my jam. Mm-hmm. What got me? So Spider-Man was what got me into comics. X-Men made me fall in love with comics. Concrete made me want to write comics. Um, I love Preacher. 100 Bullets is one of my favorite comics of all time. Um I have all of those like thick like maxi trades or whatever and I look at those all the time. Um I mean that's a total bucket bucket list thing would be to work with Eduardo Riso. Like he's amazing. Um but uh yeah, I mean I I've got three bookshelves full of trades and I think somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty long boxes. So uh it's formidable, it's, uh, yeah. Where, uh, what points do you remember getting into Spider-Man and X-Men, let's say? What time period? What years? I was young. Um, there's a, a there's an issue of Spider-Man where he's fighting Captain America on the cover. And I want to say it's 187. Um, I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm a whack job. Um, it sounds like it's and probably I, mid I remember late. buying it at the grocery store because yeah. I knew that Spider-Man and Captain America were friends and I didn't know why they were fighting. Right. Um, and 187. Yeah. So, um, sounds like mid to late seventies or so. Maybe that's a sign that comics will one day kill me. <laughs> <laughs> that's the correlation. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> But, you know, so I, I bought that I bought that comic. It was the first comic I ever bought. And then I got a couple of Marvel uh, two-in-ones. Mm. Um, and then that just, you know, I was I was into it. And then my mom took me to a comic book store. And then, you know, I got some X-Men books. I fell in love with X-Men. And then I became a collector. Um, and then that's that's what started it all. Um, and then, you know, I think there's there's three gears that you go through as a fan. I think there's the stuff that makes you fall in love with it. And then I think, you know, as a kid, and then I think when you get a little older, you want something a little more sophisticated. And then as you get still older, you just want the stuff that reminds you why you fell in love with it. And, like, I'm kind of there as a wrestling and a comic book fan, you know. Like, I'm more into, you know, I want to read some fun stuff, and I don't want to read, like, impenetrable, you know, superhero narratives. I just want to see... Captain America fights some bad guys in an entertaining way. Um, I don't want to have to read 500 other books to understand what I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a real art form to doing that, but, um, you know, that's what, that's what got me in. And then like concrete, think like a mountain, like blew my mind. I was like, this book is amazing. Concrete mm-hmm. is one of the most underrated series of all time. And it's funny cause I don't nerd out too, too hard. For anybody, but I nerded out big when I met Paul Chadwick at San Diego a couple times. And I think he was always slightly—I don't know—I don't want to say unnerved, but like he couldn't quite 
put it together. How me reading Concrete made me want to write a wrestling comic, but uh, well, it's he was not that gracious. And I mean, I don't know. Like I, I, you know, and that just takes you into a whole other like layer where you start to you know look at all the other like non superhero comics and Trans Metropolitan and Hundred Bullets and Preacher and Scalped and whatever you know what I mean and all those things that you know I I love and uh, you know it's. Uh, been a really uh, an entertaining uh, ride. <laughs> for myself, I always many comics. For myself, I always say uh, Bone was the comic that made me fall in love with comics. Preacher was the one that ensured it was a lifelong romance. You know, and it's it's funny when you get to like meet some of these guys too, and just you know, yeah, you know, essentially geek out to them, but also be just you know grateful for the impact they had on you. Yeah. Oh, I know. I've got uh, I've got a signed Darth Ennis preacher poster in my office. You know, I try to surround myself with the people who inspire me. I have a those giant uh, Fantastic Four Art Adams deals where he's drawn like every character in the history of Fantastic Four on it. Um, you know, I have a the Raven Spider Man issue signed by Raven, the Crusher Hogan thing. I have that one on too. my wall. I have a Paul Chadwick sketch. I have a painting that Jerry Lawler did for me. Um, I have a AAA poster signed by Chris Jericho. So I, uh, I try to I try to surround myself with. Uh, did you say AAA or AAA? To quote uh, Kevin Kleinrock. <laughs> <laughs> just AAA. <laughs> now, and the funniest thing, also, you know, you just mentioned with uh, with Ennis. You know, when we had Ennis on the show off mic, I ended up making the comment and. I feel like this sums up everything, at least for me with comics, is I go, I just have to tell you, you know, I'm going to get this out of the way now, just fanboy out now, but you're a big influence on me. You know, I want to get into writing comics. I want to do this, this. You're my all-time favorite writer. I adore everything you do. And then there's silence, and then you just hear, I couldn't really hear you. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's... But it, it's. Have you ever had one of those moments as well? Uh, I mean, I've got to meet you know just about everybody now, and I've got to tell them what I think of them and what their influence has been on me. So, well, I mean, did it's it ta- super embarrassing? But I was gonna say, did it tail into a uh, Larry David kind of moment? No. One of the coolest things was that uh, I met Joe Lansdale at San Diego one year, and uh, he was just looking at my stuff, and he seemed interested in the pitch. So I gave him a copy of the book he came back the next day to tell me how much he liked it. Nice. And, uh, I mean, that meant a lot to me because I got a lot of respect for Joe Lansdale. So, um, to be able to, you know, whenever somebody that you respect, like something that you've created, like that's the highest, like that's the, that gets you out in, in the most, all the fields, you know? And even it's just somebody giving you that feedback that you would otherwise have no clue about. And, and I can relate that into radio if I say something that might be mildly amusing or a song that just hit a nerve with somebody in a positive way, you have no idea what, what's going out once you've transmitted it, so to speak, and unless you get some kind of feedback. Sure. And that's the one thing I've been lucky about, honestly, is most of the feedback I've gotten has been fairly, you know, universally positive. I'm sure if, if there are people who don't like what I've done, at least been nice enough not to tell me to my face or... <laughs> write something snarky about it on the internet. So I feel at least that we've, we've put out some good stuff and, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm happy with that. 
seeing a positive reaction to somebody's work is always like the best thing. And like, you know, I'll bring it over on our end as well. Like Eddie, for the first time, uh, met my best friend, Josh Rosengren a couple of years ago. And we were at a convention with Eddie and Eddie's or Josh's reaction to Eddie was, wait a minute, Eddie Wilson. Yeah. From VOS FM. <laughs> and he was ecstatic. You know, it was one of those little things of Eddie was very humble about it. But you know, when you have somebody react to you, what you do, it's a cool feeling. Absolutely, 100%. And see, Eddie's very humble in this situation right now. <laughs> well, that was nice to know, because you, you, didn't, you, you didn't know. I never knew he was a listener. He took a photo that with kind you. Of thing. Yeah, that too. And like I said, he texted his sister, and she goes, no way. <laughs> and that made my day. I'm like, that is the coolest thing. Like, And Eddie's just like, yeah, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Didn't. Yeah, you know, you don't want to. You don't want to be. Uh, it was good. Yeah, you don't want to be. Uh, you know, cocky. Well, I didn't jump up and down and high five the guy or whatever. Just like, oh you wow, just regular high fived him. I have a fan. This is great. You know, it's not even summer. It comes, you know, yeah, it comes back around if you get too cocky at the beginning. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So now, Mike, before we wrap this episode up, how can people get a hold of you on social media, and how can they contribute to the Kickstarter? Uh, the Kickstarter is Headlock Tales from the Road. There's uh, four days left, um, well, probably three and a half now. It ends uh, just after Monday Night Raw on Monday night, um, the 27th. So we've got all kinds of tiers. We've got uh, digital tiers, physical tiers. We've got tiers you can be drawn into the book. Um, we've got uh, so many different like levels of autograph stuff and uh one of the things that people come to our booth for is for our convention-exclusive art prints, which I generally don't sell online. But because we don't have any shows this year, for the first time for a Kickstarter, we put the put the art prints, the unsigned art prints, up as a reward tier. So they're called the tiers are called merch stands. So even if you if you don't like comics or you know you don't like reading or whatever, we've still got a lot of cool um, WWE, AEW, you know, different wrestling legends. Uh, inspired uh, art prints so my personal favorite out of, something for everybody my personal favorite out of all of the art prints is the uh punisher kills the marvel uh-huh. universe inspired jerry lawler invades the ecw arena and you whoever drew that they included so many random ecw guys you see mikey whipwreck in the corner like it, it was normal for him but like looking in massive pain just so much great <laughs> stuff on there yeah doug hills is the artist on that he does uh Ian McKell do most of the art for Headlocked, and uh, Doug uh, Doug knocks it out of the park. We have a we have something we're dropping on Sunday night for the the GCW show for night two. It's uh, top secret; we can't even talk about it. So it involves it's, Kevin uh, Gill, doesn't it? It does not. Damn. Fun, fun, I don't even think I don't even think KG knows about what it is. So <laughs> it's uh it's like super super close to the vest, but we made something really really cool for it, and uh, we'll be uh, it'll be. Uh, available on Sunday night for, for one night only. And again, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Everything's Headlock Comic. One word, it's all me. So uh, everybody's, uh, you know, I am I run all of it. So I'm say hey. <laughs> Mike, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Wishing you nothing but continued success. Thanks so much, man. I really, really appreciate it. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Mike Kingston. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. It's obsessed with Marvel, the Mike Kingston edition.
headlocked or otherwise. All right, Mike, here we go. All right. Multiple choice. Question 227. It says, which job has Ben Grimm not held? It's almost topical. We were talking about the thing, Ben Grimm. It's clobbering time. Which job has Ben Grimm not held? Astronaut, boxer, professional wrestler, or test pilot? He's been a wrestler. He's been a test pilot. He's been an I'd astronaut. Say boxer. Yeah, boxer was never one of them. Yeah, I mean, I thought I remembered him in a story being in a ring setting, but not as a profession. So I that, think I'm going to have to agree with that. I love uh, that that's the first question, by the way, that it's got wrestler as an option. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're saying of astronaut, boxer, professional wrestler, test pilot, Ben Grimm was not a boxer, and that would be letter B, and that is correct. B is her boxer. We like that. Very alliterative. Or some people prefer it in their shorts, I suppose. Wow. Wow, yourself. Jeez, how <laughs> duck almost waddled in here. All right. So let's go down to, up to, rather, 694. Arm bar. I knew that was happening. All right. Who is Daredevil in Spider-Girl? Okay. Who is he in anything? I know. These Who, are the questions we why? ask. Why? Okay. Who is Daredevil in Spider-Girl? Ben Riley's son, Riley Tyne, is Daredevil in Spider-Girl. Daredevil. The host of Zarathos. Why is Daredevil? Or all three characters in one body. Wow. Who is Daredevil in Spider-Girl? I think he's Zardoz. Ben Riley's son, Riley Tyne. Daredevil, the host of Zarathos, or all these characters in one body? That option is the equivalent of the all of the above. It's got to be. I guess so, but damn. Mike? Yeah, I, I feel like that's a that's such a weird answer that it's almost got to be true. So I, right, so we're going to have to go with D for all the above. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I like this. I like how you were the one that taught me that rule of, why yes. is that on there? That's got to be that. It's yeah. got to be Kane. It's got to be Kane. This book has a, a fallacy or something, maybe a little bit of a hint. That a if, what, foul what? If it's all the above as one of the choices, go with it. And you're usually right. I'm not. You, the general person, public. Okay, question number 113. General public. Here we go to a famous, a similar character again. What is the name of the things deceased? Mm -hmm. oh. Can I finish, please? Deceased older brother. What's the name of the thing's deceased older brother? Joseph, Daniel, Jack, or Jacob. So let's put Grimm on the end of it, so maybe that'll help. So I'll, I'll cut you off real quick when you say Jacob. I have a feeling Jacob is in there because who was the co-creator of the thing? Jack, Jack Kirby. Kirby. Jacob okay. Kurtzberg. I think that's... And is it Jacob with a K? No, it's just a standard J-A-C-O-B. Oh, well, then I'm a braying jackass. The way that... Well, braying... Nay, stop. <laughs> the name of the thing is deceased older brother. Joseph, Daniel, Jack, Jacob. I think Daniel, I'm isn't gonna, it? Daniel Grimm. I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with Daniel. You're going with Daniel also? I think so, yeah. Daniel, my brother. Elton John. Oof. <laughs> Okay, you are older than me. Why are you Holy the way you cow. are? Holy <laughs> cow, do you still feel the pain? Let's try Daniel, letter B. It's correct! Daniel like the Elton John song. I cannot believe it, three for three. Bobby Bonilla and, and with minutes. that jinx in mind, we go, we're go. we going to go for a fourth question. <gasps> and and, and, Sorry, and I don't know, I, I'm really trepidatious about this, if that's the right word at this case. And here we go, up, up, then away, 1191. Almost there. 
<laughs> One more page. I love how we can hear the pages flip. That's the idea. Theater of the mind. 1191, who was Madeline Pryor? No, who was Jim Neidhart? It's not in this book, your question. Who was prior, Madeline Pryor? Prior to what? Prior to what? I don't know. What came before? <laughs> That's what prior would mean, right? Richard Pryor. I... Jean Grey's twin sister, Jean Grey under an alias, a duplicate of Jean Grey created by Phoenix Force, or Jean... One. You think that one? Yeah. I didn't, oh, get yeah. Through, I didn't get through all four yet. Holy cow. Or finally, Jean Ooh. Grey cloned by Mr. Sinister. Who was Madeline Pryor? Jean Grey's twin sister, Jean Grey under an alias, duplicate of Jean Grey created by Phoenix Force. Mr. Sinister one. Jean Grey clone created by Mr. Sinister. Recently read these. We're saying. I'm sorry, Jen. Uh, I'm sorry, Mike. I'm saying C. You're saying the duplicate created by Phoenix Force. Yes. Okay, and Peter, you're saying Jean Grey cloned by Mr. Sinister. Yeah. And I'm thinking Jean Grey under an alias. Bobby. Wow, we're split on this. And I, since I'm holding the book and pushing the button, I'm going to say B. No, it's not. The answer is D. Clone created by Mr. Sinister. I, I should have, when Peter said, I read this, yeah. <laughs> that should have been my hint. Oh, so blew that one. Three out of four. Man, I could have swore that was C. I don't even know that Phoenix Force was involved in, yeah. It's just not ringing a bell with me, that. Or a buzzer, or a ding, 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 ding. So, ring my bell. We're, we're out.